0: off the ball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of
1: all time. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. (laughs) I'm going to say I'm the Djokovic
0: of this scenario.
1: (laughs) I love it. Love it.
0: Download the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show. From off the ball. Let's talk about Ireland. Uh, Obviously, it's a massive game against Canada. The way the results have gone so far, it would suggest that this is going to be a tight game and that we're going to... We're staring down the barrel of two very tight games Sue Ronan is with us Sue, good morning to you, how are you?
2: Morning guys, how are we keeping?
0: The nil-all draw between Canada and Nigeria last night uh, Not not last night, earlier in the week um, What does that suggest about the game that we're going to see tomorrow and even the game that we're going to see against Nigeria at the end?
2: Um, Well, it shows I think what we knew all along that the group is going to be very, very tight. Um, I think I said it from the very beginning, I I did fancy us to come out of it. I I still fancy us to potentially um, come out of the group. But, you know, I think we knew there was going to be very, very tight results uh, amongst the four teams. um, and, And that's been the case so far. Canada seem to have have had a, a slow start but Nigeria we can't forget they're a very very good team they we we mentioned that they've um qualified from the CAF Confederation for I think almost every world cup they're very experienced they're very fit they're very physical um Canada obviously Olympic champions are also a very good team so yeah, they had a chance to win the game. They missed a penalty. Um, Sinclair, who you'd normally put your house on uh, to, to score, I think she scored nearly 150 goals for her country. Christine Sinclair, she missed it. It was actually quite a weak penalty, I think. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's going to be another tight game for us tomorrow. And I think we're still well in this group. And I suppose that draw has, has really uh, brought us back into it following our defeat in the opening game.
0: The breaking news this morning is that the Philippines have beaten New Zealand 1-0, so obviously New Zealand got the tournament off to a flyer when they beat Norway by a goal to nil and um, now they've lost, so uh, we are seeing topsy-turvy results we are seeing teams who we thought would be pushovers, like Haiti for example put it up to England over the course of the the 90 minutes in that one so um, no one's taken anything for granted In terms of the quality of the performance that Ireland put in, as the dust has settled on the Australia game, how well did we do?
2: Um, I think we did very well. Um, You know, we we started off, we were quite, we were in a compact low block, which we knew we would be early on. We wanted to frustrate Australia, we knew they were going to have much more possession than us. Uh, We knew where their danger areas were, which were down the flanks. I mean, it was a, a real blessing in disguise for us that Sam Kerr was was, was injured. And obviously, you don't want to wish anyone uh, an injury. But of course, that was a bit of good luck for us as she wasn't playing one of the top strikers in the world. So that was one less uh, danger to worry about. Um, so I think their biggest threat came from the wingers. Uh, their two wingers are very good. Vine, I think, was on the left and Rasso on the right and the full-back supporting them, trying to create overloads or trying to create 1v1s. And I think apart from a couple of, you know, maybe... A couple of dodgy, dodgy moments early in the game. I think we were quite comfortable. You know, we we, we frustrated them. Um, they were restricted to shots from distance. I don't think Courtney Brosnan had shots to, ma- uh, to save in the first half. And. You know, then unfortunately we were looking to try and I suppose nick a, a goal on the break. I think we didn't get forward in numbers enough in that first half. anytime we did manage to get the ball forward, Caruso was isolated, um, or Shiva was isolated, or a couple of times you saw McCabe making runs forward, and you know just wasn't working out for us. Um, and then unfortunately you have the the silly penalty in the second half, and then all of a sudden you're chasing the game, and you have to really look at now, well, what can we do to to get back into this game and. Um, I think Australia's backs were up for a few minutes, obviously after they scored, but I think after that, then the last 20 minutes, we sort of owned the game and you wonder then, you know, could we have gone at at them maybe a little bit earlier? Um, I think the subs made a huge difference. Um, I think Abby Larkin was tremendous when she came on and she was fearless, you know, as you'd expect from a young one, but she's got such an amount of skill as well. Um, And we created two or three really good chances on another day we could have scored. So, um, yeah I think we did well I think we're the fact that everyone was disappointed that we didn't get something from the game shows that we did well and Australia are a very good team they're not one of the top five or six in the world that we mentioned before but they're still very very good and very experienced and have been at every World Cup or most World Cups uh, to date where obviously this is our first
1: Would you expect um, Abby Larkin to start tomorrow Sue given I guess well certainly the, the papers seem to be hinting that, that that's it's on the cards um, but obviously I guess For an 18 year old from the start in a World Cup game is a little bit more daunting, I guess, than coming off the bench.
2: Yeah, I don't think uh, Vera will start her, to be honest. I'd like to see her start, um, but I don't think Vera will start her. I think maybe she'll spring it from the bench again if we need her, or maybe whether, you know, at some point to change it up or to put on fresh legs. Um, She is fearless, uh, but don't forget, we're playing an opponent now who's a, a level up again. Like, Canada are a stronger opponent. Um, than Australia, um, some of the defensive players they have in that team are, are playing in the top te- teams in the world. They're excellent, um, you know. So I'd be surprised if Vera does start her. Um, if she changes it up much, you know, we we all know she she tends to to go with the same players and the same shape. Um, but certainly I'd like to see us get at Canada a little bit more. I mean, you know, we can't be gung-ho, of course, and we have to keep it tight and, you know, we, we can't be naive either and think that we can take the game to them. But I think we need to pick our moments and maybe, you know, every so often you're going to go at them and you're, or you're getting one or two players, you know, m- more in attacking positions like our two wing-backs, for example. Um, you know, there has to be moments when they can maybe attack and, and, and try to support the front players because that was missing last week and especially in the that first
1: half, Lucy Quinn, another option too. I guess Marissa Shiva, the player who maybe didn't have the best of games against Australia. It was tough for her out there.
2: Yeah, it was tough for her. I also didn't think Carusa had the best of games, and she has done well up front. But and again, it's a difficult role. You know, she's up there. Balls were coming to her. She probably had two or three defenders around her. She'd she'd no no options, and it wasn't really sticking. It was going up to her. Marissa Shiva, yeah, didn't didn't have the best of games either. Um you know, there was one or two, while we did play well in general um, and, and some of the players really were that nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 as you need. There was one or two who you'd expect maybe to be the nines out of 10 that were probably only maybe about seven or eight. So they can maybe give a little bit more as well. I think we can certainly get more out of Katie. I thought Denise was all over the pitch, but her passing wasn't as, you know, as sharp as normal, um, whether she was still... Carrying the effects of the injury or, or, or what I don't know, but at times she was caught in possession, and you very very seldom see Denise caught in possession. Um, so I certainly think one or two of the more experienced players can probably even go up another level. Um, I thought Nia Fahi was tremendous. I thought the back the back uh, three three centre halves were excellent. Um, I thought uh, Farrelly, when she was on the pitch was very good. Also uh, uh, Heather Heather Payne did, did well too. So. Yeah, I think, you know, I definitely think there's more in us and I think there's an opportunity to get something from this game uh, tomorrow.
0: The back three and their lack of pace is something that Veer has spoken about, about uh, why she wants to stick with the back three for now. And, like, uh, it's very pragmatic and it's very honest in her assessment. You know, you could say stereotypically Dutch if we were to... um, (laughs) indulge ourselves in a bit of profiling sometimes they're very blunt when they talk about football in Holland it's their culture (laughs) ours is like a little bit oh you know maybe we have certain strengths that are they're like nah we're just not fast enough and she might be right perhaps
2: yeah yeah no look perhaps she is and you you know you do when you're up against very fast and attacking players you, you do have to have speed but you know, I think maybe what we if we do lack like speed there, um I think we've got great experience. You know, you look at Nia Fahi and the way she reads the game. I mean, she's been around the block. She might not have been at a, a, a World Cup or European championships, but she's very, very good at reading the game. Likewise, Louise Quinn again mightn't be blessed with the with um lots of pace, but you know, is very strong, can can read what's going on, can can cover where it needs to cover, can maybe get in ahead of her of her attacker to win that ball. And then Megan then provides a little sweeping up, I guess. Personally, I'd like to see Megan in midfield. I really would. I think that would release Denise a little bit, maybe into a little bit more of an attacking role. Um, she could sort of do that number six uh, role. She could sort of uh, sweep in front of the the back, whether it's a back five or back four or whatever. But uh, I'd certainly prefer to see her a little bit further up the pitch. Um, but yeah, it is a back five, very much a back five. But I think in this game, you know, we can turn it into a back four at any given moment and get one of those wing backs in a four position because both of them are well capable of getting up the pitch and indeed getting back if need be. So, I, I think that's something that I'd certainly like to see.
1: Jessie Fleming, that we we've mentioned this morning, Sue, so like a lot of the creativity from Canada by all accounts seems to come through her. Um, how is she best nullified? Is it Katie McCabe? I guess they're, they're familiar with each other as as rivals with Arsenal and and Chelsea. Yeah. So, is is that a job for Katie?
2: She's a very good player, Jesse Fleming, and she didn't play the other day. I think against Nigeria, mm. uh, she's excellent and she's had an excellent couple of seasons with Chelsea. Um she tends to play on that right side, all right. So you're probably looking at maybe Katie getting into another another battle again, and and no better player to do that. So, yeah, look, I mean, we're just going to have to try to nullify her influence on the game because she can be a big influence for Canada when she's on form, as she is for Chelsea. Um, We're certainly not going to go man-to-man or or woman-to-woman, so to speak, you know, in a game. But obviously, you just have to be wary and, and, you know, try to nullify that threat that she has or that creativity because she definitely can make Canada tick.
1: They're not as quick, maybe, on the counter-attack. Some people suggest that Canada, as Australia perhaps were, but... They still have attacking threats. Um, I I, I guess the the Irish wing-backs were pinned in a lot against the Australians and didn't have much room. You'd hope that maybe that'll be slightly different, given the Canadians are are a bit more laboured.
2: Yeah, they are, and they're an older team as well, probably. But they're definitely not as, you know, not as direct and uh, down, and they don't use the wing play as much as the Australians do. Um, so, you know, from our point of view, I'd like to see our wing backs impose ourselves on it and, and give them something to think about. And as you say, don't get pinned in so much for all of the game. Of course, it's going to be times when they're going to have to be deep. Um, But I think, you know, let's give Canada something to think about and let's take the game to them at at moments, you know, choose our moments. Um, We can't do it, of course, for 90 minutes and we'd be silly to try um, because they are a very, very good team. But um, yeah, I think... I, I definitely think there's there's a result in this one for us tomorrow. There has to be, or we're going home effectively. You know, we we have to get something. We definitely can't lose the game. Um, even a draw will keep us in it, but we definitely can't afford to lose this game.
0: There is a world in which we do two <clears throat> two nil all draws in our next two games, and uh, assume that Australia beats the other teams by two goals and we go through without having scored. Uh, that was Gavin Comiskey was pointing that out today. It could be um, similar yeah. to. Vaguely similar to Italia ninety, uh, we'd probably take it at this stage. But I think we can be we can be a bit more ambitious, can't we? Like, there's no reason to fear anything that's left in the in the tournament. From what we've seen so far,
2: yeah, no, I agree. And when you look at some of the performances we put in against better teams in the last year, you know it shows that we have it in our locker to do it. I mean, look at the two games against USA. We didn't fear them. There was nothing at stake. There was nothing to lose. It was they were only friendly games. Um, but we were so good in those games, especially that first game. Like we totally outplayed them in the first half. And again, we've talked about it on this this program because they're really a top top team. They found a way to win. I think the in the first game wasn't it a, 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 a speculative cross or something from one of the wings came in and eluded Courtney Brosnan. Um, you know, and then there was a penalty as well. So and we actually scored a goal, we were lucky that was just allowed. So the performance we put in against them, the performance we put in against Australia at home in the friendly, against Sweden away when we took the game to them against Norway or Finland away when we had to win or wanted to win to to put our marker down in the qualifying group. Um just shows that we actually can play, you know, when we want to. So that's what I'm saying, you know, let's look and try to do that. And right? I'd love to see us try to do that for periods in the game. Let, let's give the Canadians something to worry about and the Nigerians also, um, because we really have some good players and some good footballers, um, you know, who can create and, and, and can show the best of themselves if if that's the, the style of play that we're, we're we're going to use.
0: You'd hope that's the legacy of the tournament that actually... They take incredible confidence about the fact that they're mixing it in a World Cup, top 32 teams in the world, and they don't look in any way out of place.
2: No, they don't. And you mentioned at the beginning there, I think, yeah, they've probably lost now. New Zealand were 1-0 down to, to Philipp- the Philippines, and there's been some really tight results. Like Haiti really put it up to England. They were very, very lucky to get out of that game with the win. Um, a Twice taken penalty they needed. France, uh, France couldn't beat um who were France playing? I can't remember now. They Jamaica. they couldn't uh, pardon me? Jamaica? You make it. That's right. Yeah, and and you had um Bunny Shaw up front who caused them huge amount of trouble. Um And there's been some some games, some some matches like that that have been really really close, and the top teams have found it difficult to get the breakthrough or to win. So the gap is definitely closing. And I know we often talk about rankings and teams ranked 30, 50, and their teams ranked 20. You mean the team ranked 50 might be there by virtue of not having played games, you know? But in actual fact. They're, they're probably better than their actual ranking uh, in their own confederation. So the gap is definitely closing. We don't look a bit out of place. Um, let's hope now this the legacy really is the start that we now know how to qualify for major tournaments. We've got over that hump and that we can continue to do so in the in the coming years.
1: That's the thing as well, Sue. Like we, we don't really have much to fear. We don't have a lot to fear against the Canadians. They are Olympic champions by by rights. But as Colin was saying earlier, like the, some of the stats are in Canada. Wouldn't fill you full of fear, so they they haven't scored more than once against the European team in the last 13 games or meetings, they've only won one of their last six, that was a game against Brazil in February, so I mean there are causes for optimism here you'd imagine for Ireland.
2: No, absolutely. In Canada, are definitely a team you can get at. Of course, they're one of the top teams. Uh, they're still not in that league. The the USA, the Germany, the France, as I call them. That you know, they they will find ways to win. Japan, now uh, I've mentioned I like, fancy Japan all along. They've been very impressive uh, in their win. Um, they dispatched Zambia really, really well. They scored five goals, so they're not in that league. Of course, they're a very good team. They've qualified for for lots of, of World Cups. Well, we can certainly get at them. Um, I remember when I was coach, we played Canada in the Cypress Cup uh, going back, whatever, 2015, 2016. And they were similarly, you know, a top team then. And, and we were even less ranked and probably very few professional players in the squad at the time. And it was one of the playoff games for maybe seventh or eighth or fifth and sixth, actually, I think it was in the tournament. We came so close to beating them because we had no fear of them. Um, and it, it took their manager at the time, with Megan Campbell taking her long throws, it took her man, the, the manager at the time to try and block her in his dugout, um, in his technical area when she was taking the throw-ins because we were really hurting them so much. And we took the lead in that game, actually, and we, we unluckily lost 2-1. But we hadn't got any fear, you know. So I really feel we don't have fear um, against the Canadians that we can get a result out of them.
0: So, uh, in terms of the legacy, right? Um, there's watch parties in Mount Park, and there's hundreds of kids going. And, and I know from the WhatsApp groups of my kids' football that, like, there's been a surge in interest. Um, you'd hope that we've learned some lessons from 40 years ago, 30 years ago, when we qualified for Italia '19. There was there was literally no legacy. There was no improvement in facilities. The surge in numbers, like, it, it's definitely the bit where the playing numbers surged, but we didn't quite cement that with an upswing in domestic fortunes um, it feels a little bit like we're at least thinking about how to maximise an improvement in returns from the government and from um, facilities at the moment what's your yeah. sense about somebody who kind of understands this whole thing and has, has seen firsthand for the last while um, how difficult it has been to get the game going what do you hope is coming next and what, how, do, how well do you think we're doing or, or are prepared for it
2: well you can see the surge there already with these watch parties and everything on social media and just the following the team ha- has now and the fact that clubs are saying that they're inundated now girls wanting to join traditional what, what we would call ma- male you know clubs male dominated or, or just traditional male all male clubs are now catering for girls where they wouldn't have before um I certainly know it's still an issue around the country uh, facilities and in many clubs around the country at grassroots level, the girls team is still left to last on the weekend to get access to the pitch. Or the girls' match might be the first one cancelled if there 's a you know an issue with with weather um and they they might play the boys' games off first, so you would certainly like to see that you know that that type of thing not happen, and that more equality now in every club that the girls are just as important as the boys um and the importance goes according to the level of the team, whether that's the women 's team are playing in the national league, they get more preference over the boys' team as maybe playing in a junior league or whatever um but yeah, I think I, I think we definitely are in a better position to cater for the numbers now. I would I would like to think I'd like to hope we are. Um, I've always spoken then about that legacy. I'd really like to see our, our national league uh, go professional at some point. Now we're a bit off that. I think we've just gone semi-professional this year. But I think we need to be careful there too. You know, I think it should be quality over quantity. Um, there's no point having 12, 14 teams in a national league or 12, 14 teams in underage national leagues. You know, and you're getting those big results because you look at the WSL in England, I think what if they got eight or 10 teams at the moment, but it's taken them like 12 years to get up to that, that level or that number. Um, so it's not about just opening it up to anyone that wants to come in or that can achieve club licensing. I think we need to be looking at quality, um, because especially as most of our best players at the moment, our national team, they're all playing abroad. So, you know, do we have that depth there? We want to create a really, really strong competitive league. So I think we should. Look, we, we need to be looking more about the quality over quantity there. And hopefully then a couple of years down the line, we're looking at a more professional league.
0: Last question for you on this. And, and um, I, I didn't mean to bring this up today, but just the, I do wonder if there's a, a room for some centralised contracts for players and I know it's very difficult for, so what club benefits? Is it the club with all the money? Is it the club with the rich owner? You know, how do you work that out? It's very difficult. And does, every, does everybody have to get one? Like back in the days of the basketball where everybody had an American, it's like everybody's allowed one centrally contracted player. But it would allow the FAI to have control of the players and make sure that they were full-time. And every club has one who maybe is a part-time player and a part-time football administrator or coach or something. I think we just need to be a little bit creative about how we get there.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely, and these are ideas that you know I would have put forward many years ago because I saw it happening in other countries and it was working. And it was probably before there was professional leagues. To be fair, um, I know they did it in Holland initially when their national league started up for, up um, first, going way back. And I think Vera would have been uh, very much involved at the t- at the time. They literally placed the players in; they were on con- centralized contracts with the FA, and they placed the players that you didn't, all, you didn't have 10 at one club. Um, and that's something that unfortunately we've seen happen in, in in Ireland over the last number of years. You've And particularly at our underage, um, we, we've seen, I know Dave Connell gets frustrated. He often sees some, this is before the introduction of the under-19 league, you'd have some of the players from the underage squad who are really good enough to be playing at the top level, sitting on the bench, not getting game time. And that doesn't do anything for their own career or for the national teams. So it's something potentially to look at. In Holland, it's definitely easier to do because it definitely is a smaller country and travel to and from players can still live at home and travel to wherever they're playing. Whereas if you have a player from Donegal and you're placing her on a team in Dublin or in Cork, but she's still living or going to college in Donegal, that's probably a little bit more difficult. But... I, I agree with you. We do need to be a little bit more creative and try to bring the competitiveness of, of that league up, and, and look at trying to do that rather than just trying to make it bigger. Um, yeah. Because, yeah.
0: Yeah. And look, if there was a transfer fee to come, then that would go to the FAI, and that might help to pay for it over the years. So uh, there's definitely, if there's a will, there's a way. Sue, great stuff. Thanks, many for joining us as ever.
1: OTB AM,
0: the sports breakfast show from Off the Ball.